Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome to Football Social Daily. I'm Jim Salverson and for a long time now we've criticised footballers who are complaining that there's too much football in the calendar, that they have to play Monday, Thursday or Saturday, Wednesday or something along those lines. But I'll tell you what, we're feeling the burn on the team at the moment because the football is coming <laughs> thick and fast and we're covering every bit of it on Football Social Daily. Noel McCall's with me on today's pod. How are you doing, Noel? I'm good. Just the two of us, we can make it. Yeah, yeah. the football's killed off Joel Marley and Owen today. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it is just me and you standing, the last men standing, mate. Yeah, it's intimate though, isn't it? Just the two of us talking football. <laughs> and like I say, there's a lot of it going on at the moment. We've got the Champions League to look back on. We've got the Europa League to look forward to. And Tom from Who Got The Assist will be joining on the podcast a little bit later to talk us through fantasy Premier League, if you're into that, he's got some top advice on your team for the coming weeks. Like I say, Liverpool and Tottenham were in action last night. Two emphatic wins for the Premier League teams in the Champions League. We'll get onto that shortly. And there's Europa League football for Arsenal versus Bodo Glimpt tonight, which is a team I've got to confess I've never even heard of before. And Manchester United face Ammonia Nicosia tonight as well. And obviously, there is West Ham in the Europa Conference as well. They are playing Anderlecht. We'll get onto that shortly and decide who's going to win what in tonight's Europa League and Europa Conference games. But let's start off with the Champions League last night. And we have to start with Liverpool 7, Rangers 1. A tough start to the season for Liverpool so far, Niall, but potentially... A 7-1 victory, albeit against Rangers, who have struggled a little bit in the Champions League. That's got to lift spirits, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. You can't win a game 7-1 and not come out of it feeling pretty good about yourselves. And you're right about Rangers. They've not covered themselves in glory their first season back in the Champions League for 12 years. And obviously, if anyone has followed the Rangers story, they'll know about how they became insolvent. They effectively went bankrupt. The club shut down. A new club was started up from the very bottom division of Scottish professional football. So they're in Scottish League 2. They've worked their way all the way up. And then to win the title again was kind of like the the redemption, I suppose, under Steven Gerrard before he ended up moving to Aston Villa. They got themselves into the Champions League and they've got through the quality qualification stages and they got put into a group with some really tough teams one of them being Liverpool so to wait 12 years to get back into the Champions League for them to have performed in the way they have done they would be really disappointed with that Rangers they scored a goal last night though which is the first goal they've scored in the group stages so far they were bottom of the group with minus nine goal difference zero points they scored a goal and actually up until half time when it was 1-1 and probably early in the second half as well they looked all right but then there were a couple of moments in the game which probably hinged it Liverpool kind of just showed their class and showed their quality which we know they've had hiding within them but especially considering Jurgen Klopp's side have got Manchester City this weekend at Anfield and they're not in the greatest of form to go and win a game 7-1 is 
pretty much the per- perfect tonic that you could have asked for as a manager. So Mo Salah scored a hat-trick inside six minutes. Awesome from him and great for him sort of to, to kind of hit his straps again after what's been a poor start to the season. He's been pretty anonymous, let's be honest, Mo Salah. We've not really spoken about him at all in the first three months of the season. So good for him to get some goals. But as for Rangers, disappointing for Liverpool. Like what you said, you know, you've got to be brimming with confidence when you win a game 7-1. Seven, seven, um, even at five aside, if you win a game handsomely <laughs> like that, you're feeling pretty good about yourself afterwards. So, yeah, I imagine it's a similar feeling for those Liverpool boys. I do wonder how much the 7-1 kind of papers over the cracks. Like you say, the first half was a lot closer than the second half and they did concede that early goal to Rangers. And it kind of hints to me that maybe it's not quite problem solved yet. At Liverpool, they still have defensive frailties. They still are likely to concede goals, even against the likes of Rangers. And I think they'll still be worried about Manchester City. It's very different facing a Rangers team to it is facing the champions of England. Oh, yeah. Goodness me. Yeah. I mean, you have to accept that Rangers and Manchester City are on two different planets when it comes to the quality. And, you know, listen, Rangers are a great club, historical club with brilliant fans. They're, I think, the most successful club in the history of football with the amount of trophies they've won through the years. Uh, If you look at their trophy room in Ibrox, I've seen photos of it. It's absolutely incredible. You know, there's glass case after glass case. With with Liverpool getting the result that that they needed, I think that you have to suggest that it is against an opposition of lower quality. I suppose it's no different to Real Madrid coming up against Victoria Pilsen from the Czech League or you know, Chelsea coming up against, well, even even then, I think Salzburg are probably uh, on a par with Rangers, if not slightly better. You know, Chelsea have got one of those sort of lower ranked teams in their group. So you'd expect Liverpool to win, maybe not by the margin of 7-1 because it is the Champions League after all. So that's disappointing from a Rangers perspective. But yeah, it does show the difference in quality between uh, the side like Rangers and, and a side like Manchester City. Um, but you know you can only beat what's in front of you as the old as the old cliche goes I think what it does prove though Jim is that you know we always say this argument that Rangers and Celtic would survive in the Premier League Um, they probably would but on that showing last night and I've not seen a great deal of Celtic this year but I'm inclined to feel the same that they'd struggle we always hear this that the two big Glasgow clubs would would be all right I think they would after a few years in the Premier League because of the way the money is structured, you know, like the, the the way that the broadcast rights are divvied out. And naturally, being a big club in the Premier League, you get more money from broadcast rights, which means you can spend it on better players, better managers, infrastructure, etc., etc. So I think after five, ten years, Rangers and Celtic would be OK. But if you drop them into the league now, as they are, they'd get hammered. And that was proved last night, unfortunately. I wonder whether... I mean, Scottish football is not in a great place at the moment. I don't think it's quite where it was a few seasons back, even even then. And I wonder whether Rangers would have gone into the game last night. They needed something if they were going to get that third place finish. That's their aspiration, dropping into the Europa League and continuing their European season there. I think that's probably gone now. They've got Naples, Napoli next, rather. I wonder whether... Are there going to be questions asked about whether Scotland and the league deserves a Champions League place if they continue to post performances like this. Because it isn't an automatic right that the champions of every league in Europe goes into the Champions League. Could they potentially be demoted to the champions getting a Europa League place if they continue with this kind of form? I'm not sure. I'm not sure because the Champions League place for the Scottish League I don't think results in automatic qualification. A bit like when you finish fourth in the Premier League 
Uh, a lot of people don't realise you still have to play qualification games, or at least you used to. I remember a few years back, Arsenal had to play some Champions League qualifying games uh, when they finished fourth to get into the group stages. So that's kind of how it works. There's a, a club from Belgium called uh, Royal Union Saint-Geloy, and they're from Brussels. And they're kind of like a small club who got promoted from the second division into the top division only two seasons ago. They ended up winning the top division. Um, and then the way it works in Belgium is when you win the league, the top four teams go into a mini playoff and they ended up losing the ultimate mini playoff championship thing. But they managed to get into a position where they could qualify for playing in Europe. And this is the, the Belgian league we're talking about. So you often see clubs like Anderlecht and Club Bruges, etc. in the Champions League. But Royal Union Saint-Geloy had to qualify to get on the Europa League to get in the Europa League, sorry, or the Europa Conference or whatever it was, by virtue of playing like two Champions League qualifiers, then a Europa League qualifier, and then a Europa Conference League qualifier. So they've, you know, from July, they've been playing European games to try and get into the group stages of a competition, whether that be Conference, Europa or Champions League. So I do think that the way it is structured can be unfavourable to some of the smaller clubs. I do think they've got it difficult because by the time they reach the group stages, it's almost like they've played an entire phase of the competition by that point anyway so I do wonder whether that sometimes impacts the quality we see in in these matches um, but then on the flip side you've got clubs like Sheriff Tiraspol who went and beat Real Madrid last year the Moldovan champions you know who had to qualify to get into the competition and then they go and turn over the team that actually went on to win the competition so I think it would be harsh to take away a Champions League place from Scotland on the basis that Rangers got hammered last night I don't think that's fair they've not been in the Champions League for 12 years so I think it's I think it's pretty difficult and they did reach the Europa League later stages they get to the final of the Europa League last season I think so you know, you've got to give them credit um, for, for where they've come from in the last 15 years, really, and where they are now. Lost to Frankfurt in that final. We'll get on to Frankfurt's game against Tottenham last night in a second. Before we do, I know it's not a Monday. I want to have a moan, though. I want to have a moan about Jurgen Klopp because I'm getting really fed up with the way he treats journalists in his press conferences. <laughs> I don't know if you saw his pre-match press conference for this one, Niall, but there was a journalist, and apologies, I don't know the journalist's name, who rephrased Didier Mann's criticism of Liverpool saying they were lacking spark at the moment and the journalist question was do you think they're lacking spark and Jurgen Klopp had a right go at the journalist and kind of said oh what a reliable source you've used there and you should be thinking of your own questions and was pretty brutal I thought in, in the kind of way that everyone's had a boss at some point in their life who kind of likes to make their employees feel stupid in a room full of people it was that kind of treatment and I'm getting a little bit fed up with the way Jurgen Klopp speaks to journalists. He seems to have this automatic defensive nature and it's not done in the same way as Jose Mourinho did it in the past. Jose Mourinho was always a little bit spiky and was a little bit defensive and kind of maybe bristly and arrogant sometimes, but he was never cruel with it. And I think Jurgen Klopp's got this real cruel streak in the way he speaks to the media. And I'm getting a little bit fed up with that. I don't think it's doing him any favours. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, he's one of those characters where when everything's going well, he's the greatest guy in the world to have a press conference with. But when things are going badly, he's horrible and miserable um, to speak to. I'm just waiting for a journalist to snap back. I think it needs that. I think someone needs to challenge Jurgen Klopp. A bit like how Sir Alex Ferguson never used to be challenged, almost through fear of the repercussions of what he might say back. I feel like Jurgen Klopp's got a little bit of that within him, sort of the... Even though he's the nicest guy on the surface, he's certainly the sort of character that I'd imagine people would love to go out and have a beer with. And I think he is that sort of guy. But under pressure, people can do strange things. And let's face it, Liverpool have been rubbish this year by their high standards. So naturally, he's going to feel a bit under pressure. 
So yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see someone have a little snap back and see how he reacts. I think that would be quite good entertainment. But I just think it's because, Jim, that they're not playing very well. And I think that managers are always harder to deal with when that's the case. Very true. Right, let's move on to Tottenham 3, Frankfurt 2. Spurs moved top of their Champions League group with a win over Eintracht Frankfurt last night. Hardly the cagey score lines that we've come to expect from Antonio Conte's team. But was the performance as gun-ho as the score suggests it might have been, Niall? Yeah, I thought last night was a, a really weird game, actually. Um, Spurs felt like they were in control, but when you look at the scoreline, it was it was 3-2 come the end. And then, of course, Harry Kane misses a penalty at the end to make it more comfortable as well. But I think that there was a lot to like from what Spurs showed last night. And let's not forget this. They're still quite fresh as a European team. You know, they spent a fair few years out of the Champions League. They've spent a while trying to get back into it. You know, we think of Spurs as one of the big six, but they're actually not a a, a long-term Champions League club. So, you know, they did what they needed to do. It's a big game in the context of the group, both sides on four points, both sides in second and third respectively. And it feels like this is the stage of the Champions League where you really need to win your group games because time's running out. There's only two group games left and you don't want to be chasing two wins in your final two group games because that gives you some significant pressure, especially in a group with, I think, is it Marseille and Sporting are the other two teams in Spurs group. So, that's not an easy position to be in if you're Spurs. So I think that the key for them, Jim, is that they just got the job done. And I mean, I don't know what you think about this, but Son and Kane, um, 50th goal contribution between them. We talk about partnerships in the Premier League and just in English football in general. Those two are just they are great together, aren't they? They're, they're perfect foil for each other and the stats show it as well. Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, in terms of Spurs last night in the game, I thought they could have won it at a canter if... Frankfurt hadn't scored that late goal, we'd probably be looking at it slightly differently. But it was sloppy mistakes from Spurs across the pitch that kind of kept Frankfurt in the match in front of goal and at the back, ultimately. And it seems weird that they can't quite shake that Spursiness from their performances. Even with Conte in there, they've got that kind of ability to make a mistake and self-destruct. In terms of Son and Kane, though, I mean, we know Kane's quality. He rarely dips in form. He's always contributing on the pitch, even if it's not in goals, it's in other ways Son's been a bit hot and cold this season for my money and we know he scored that super quick hat trick in was it that was in Europe wasn't it a few weeks back in like 20 minutes or something not quite as quick as Salah but still pretty quick but he is running it slightly hot and cold and I wonder whether he needs to find form if he's going to be considered part of that first pick Spurs front line because Conte's got a lot of options in there he's got Richarlison he's got um, Kulovsky and he's got Son and he's got Kane and it's kind of a chicken and egg situation for Son Ho-min in that it feels like he needs a run of games to find the form that he's had in previous seasons that saw him get the golden boot last season but at the same time he's not going to find that run of form without the form to give him the running the team under Conte. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, it, it, it's, he's in a difficult place at the moment, but we know that Son and Kane partnership works really well. Yeah, I do know what you mean. And, you know, listen, he scored two goals last night. Kane scored one. And if you're talking about picking a best Spurs eleven, if you're Antonio Conte, on form, both of those two players are in it. Richarlison cost Tottenham 60 million. I think he certainly gets in the team as well. I think Kulishevsky's been brilliant since he's come in. I think that's a really smart signing by Tottenham. Excellent, really, from them. I think it's the midfield that's the worry. I think Eric Dyer's been 
rejuvenated as a centre-back. I think he's looked really good. Longley is a good player and Romero is tough as nails as well. So I think at the back, they're pretty good. I think it's that midfield four with the wing-backs, Emerson and Sassignon, Hoybier and Bentanker. So they need someone more creative so they can get the ball forward, so they can get the ball to the likes of Son, Kane and Richarlison and, and, and try and do damage at the other end because... You know, I think that's not an unhealthy position for Antonio Conte's players to be in where they need to perform and they need to prove that they can have a run of games to get in the team. Particularly someone like Son. You know, he's someone who's always so consistent. He'll always give 100%. He'll run through walls for you. And, you know, if, you, if you're giving him that carrot of you need to keep doing it consistently to get in the team, I think that's a really health, healthy thing. I just think if you look at that midfield, particularly the two central players, Hoybier and Bentanker, they're not two players for me that scream creativity. You know, I feel like they need someone like, a bit like what Christian Eriksen used to do. Just someone who can sit in a pocket and start pinging balls to the front three. So I think that's where they're probably missing rather than in terms of Son, Kane and, and Richarlison and the attacking forces that Conte has. I think he's all right there. I just think that they miss someone creative in the middle. I think that that was the key for me last night. And I was thinking they could do a sign in someone who can fill that role in January. Not too many problems for Spurs at the moment. They're still in with a chance of topping their group in the Champions League. One more comment on the Champions League before we move on, Niall. I want to raise Napoli very quickly. And I know they're not a Premier League team and they don't really get our attention in general, but scoring for fun in the league and the Champions League at the moment, they beat Ajax 4-2 last night. I don't think anyone would have picked them as potential candidates for Serie A or for the Champions League before the season. But... I think we can consider them dark horses now. They they seem to have found real form. What's happened at Napoli? I don't watch a great deal of Italian football, so I don't really know what the story is there, but they seem to have come from nowhere. Um, I watched them last season uh, against Leicester, actually, in the Europa League a couple of times in the flesh. I was very impressed with them. And the reason I was impressed was because they showed a spirit. Aussie men up front are a very good player. Uh, Zielinski's been a bit of a, an unsung hero for them. And then they found this sort of hidden gem in the Georgian lad, who I'm not going to try and pronounce his name. I think it's uh, <laughs> Kvaratskhelia, someone like that. Um, That's not bad. Elif Elmas. I mean, there's, there's, so, there's so many good players they've got in their team as well. Uh, players that have been there for a few years, players that know each other well, players that have settled down. And um, I think they're playing with a freedom and a spirit where they're not expected to go deep into the competition. They probably weren't expected to be in the top reaches of Serie A. I mean, they would have been expecting to be in the top six and probably aiming for the Champions League. But to be top of the pile at the moment, very impressive. You know, if you look at the, the top four in Italy this season, it's it's Naples at the top. Then you've got Atalanta, who are a, a club really in the last five years have exploded onto the scene. They're from Bergamo, which is a small town near Milan. Um, Lazio a third. We've not seen much from them for years. And Udinese a fourth with AC Milan, Roma and Inter Milan, fifth, sixth and seventh. Juventus way back in eighth. So you're talking about a bit of a turnout for the books here um, in Serie A. So, I mean, they've been impressive. They've only conceded seven league goals all season. They've scored 22, which is more than anyone else has. So um, they're carrying that form into the Champions League. And like I said, I think they're playing with the spirit in a carefree attitude that um, that's serving them really well. So, you know, Ajax are a good team, very technically good, but, you know, Napoli have blown them away. So, um, yeah, ones to watch maybe, Jim. I think you might be right there. 
I think we've all got a bit of a soft spot for Napoli as well, given their heritage with Diego Maradona and the heady <laughs> days of the 1970s and 80s. So it's good and to see pizza, well. of course. The home of, of pizza. Course, you can yeah. never turn your nose up at that. Yeah, there we go. The place where pizza was invented. Right, we're going to talk about the Europa League next. The conference and the Europa League proper. Arsenal, Manchester United and West Ham in action tonight. We'll do it on Football Social Daily after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We start with our Europa League preview with Arsenal, who are off to Bodo... Ford slash glimped <laughs> tonight in the Europa League. I don't know if you pronounce the uh, the Ford slash in their official name, but they were originally called Glimped. This team, but they play in a town called Boda or Bode, uh, and Glimped means flash apparently in English. That's kind of all I've managed to work out from the opposition for Arsenal tonight. But in terms of Arsenal, the big news is that Gabriel Jesus has been left out of the squad. He's picked up a head injury at the weekend, so he's being left out of the team by Arteta. Is that going to be a big problem against what I think it's fair to describe as European minnows? Well, to be fair to Berdeglimt, they um, they smashed five past Roma in the Europa Conference last season and actually ended up being one of the dark horses there. Jose Mourinho's team had to really turn it around to get past them. I was going to say what they need to worry about, the uh, the Arsenal players, especially the Brazilians, is the amount of cold and rain that there's going to be in Berda because it's in the Arctic Circle. Thankfully, it's only early October, so they don't have to worry about going there in December. But it's currently eight degrees. Uh, tonight will be six degrees and it's basically hammering down all day. So it's going to be pretty miserable for them. But um, they've done really well for themselves. It's, it's a really tiny town. But um, Gabriel Jesus being out is, is not a huge concern at this point for Arteta because you'd think that with the forward players they've got and how they've all performed, Saka has started to really improve in the last couple of weeks after a slow start to the season. Martinelli's been brilliant. Martin Erdegaard has is, is you know, being captain this season and he's led by example, I think, as well. Even players like Granit Xhaka, Jim, are starting to chip in with goals. Someone who looked absolutely dead and buried in an Arsenal shirt a couple of seasons ago is now kind of coming back and, and, and scoring goals. So I think that what we'll see tonight from Arsenal is a professional performance. I think that Berda Glimt will score. I think that they shouldn't be underestimated. I think at home as well, they can be very difficult to beat. And I think that that's proven by the fact that Roma lost 5-2 there last season. Northern European teams are, are really difficult to, to turn up at and get a result, particularly here at, at Berda Glimt because the stadium's boxy, the weather's going to be miserable. Um, particularly if you're from South America, it doesn't look like the sort of place where you'd be used to playing a game of football. So even though these are all trivial things and the pitch is still the same size and the goals are still the same height, unless you're Cardiff City, <laughs> then, um, you know, uh, it, it shouldn't make too much of a difference. But I don't think it will be routine for us. I think it would be professional, but I don't think it will be like we saw Liverpool hammer seven past Rangers. I don't think we'll get that sort of scoreline. For me, it's one that Arsenal don't want to be complacent about it, but at the same time, they should and will expect a victory tonight. I think the big potential issue for Arteta is those injuries. Like I say, Hezus out, Zinchenko's out at the moment, Emil Smith-Rowe's out, Elneny's out for various reasons. And tonight's game, because of its location, as you mentioned, it's in the Arctic Circle, is being played on an artificial pitch. And we know that... An artificial pitch can risk injuries, particularly for players with Achilles or knee problems. It can really aggravate those. So 
at the back of Mikel Arteta's mind, he's surely going to have the risk of injury in his head when he's picking his team, particularly with the way Arsenal are playing in the Premier League at the moment, and he's not going to want to risk that for <laughs> What are you saying? He's just going to pick all the players he doesn't. He's not asked about getting yeah. injured. <laughs> just, just Zaka, basically. <laughs> well, I think I think he'll he'll there'll, there'll be certain players that he'll want to protect, and it will be those because Premier League footballers or any professional footballers, any footballer for that matter, at any level, they will have weaknesses in their body, and they will have like so. For example, I have a problem with my Achilles, and if I play on four G pitches. I'm hobbling around the next day. It's like it's, but why it's a problem is that, I have. Why, and be, it, it, what's the well, reason for, for me? That? It's because I'm 42, mate. <laughs> but, <laughs> what, why, <laughs> what for a 4G pitch? Yeah. Why? Why does that make you more achy the next day? Is there any reason for that? Do you know it? Or it's it's because it's because of the give in the pitch. There's not as much give as there is on grass on a 4G pitch, and also the surface grabs your foot more so you get less movement in your foot when you place it down i believe this is the reason anyway there's probably people who are listening to football social daily who know the scientific or physiotherapy reasons and they should message us at fsd pod if they do but yeah because it grabs your foot more there's more unnatural rotation in your ankle and your knee when you're kind of moving about i believe that's the reason but i mean anyway it's it's going to be playing on arteta's mind isn't it surely that he doesn't want to risk certain players because of what's going on in the Premier League yeah I think so but I just think what can you do you know you have to pick a team of 11 players for tonight I mean there's not a great deal Arteta can do about it I think the the only benefit is that you know that it's just the one game this season will be on an artificial pitch unless he ends up getting drawn against a team in the FA Cup or something for example if that's the case but yeah, I, I do think that you know these sorts of things will always go through a manager's mind. But they're, you know they're away at Leeds at the weekend. Their game at home against Manchester City, thankfully for them, I suppose, has been postponed to a later date. So actually, if you look at the games they've got coming up next, Jim, they've got this one against Berdeglimt. They've got Leeds United at home. Then they've got PSV at home next Thursday. Then it's Southampton, PSV again, Nottingham Forest, Zurich before a big game against Chelsea on the sixth of November. So actually, he's got three weeks ish of games where you'd expect Arsenal to pick up points you'd expect Arsenal to be okay even if they do have injury problems so yeah I guess that the the fact that Man City game has been postponed and moved is probably a a blessing in disguise really for Arsenal Um, that's looking really tasty whenever that will go ahead we don't know with both sides leading the way in the Premier League this season but you know PSV Southampton Nottingham Forest Zurich you'd expect Arsenal to be picking up points if not victories in all of those games so if they do end up picking up a few knocks tonight at least then Mikel Arteta will think okay we've not got crucial matches I know all matches are crucial in the Premier League particularly when you're trying to win it but um, I think that they'll feel more comfortable coming up against those sorts of opponents than maybe if they had had Man City or Chelsea a little bit earlier in the scheduling so yeah it's a bit frustrating but I mean what can you do as a manager you just have to just have to pick a team and you know cross your fingers and hope that nothing goes wrong another glamour tie for Manchester United in the Europa League tonight they face Ammonia Nicosia in their match no Anthony Martial for tonight for United Niall maybe not an issue in this game but potentially Martial's absence could be an issue going forward do you think that means we're going to see more of Ronaldo or is Rashford going to play through the middle how's Ten Hag going to handle this I think we'll see Ronaldo tonight Jim I'm actually going to this game at Old Trafford so I'm looking forward to it Um, Neil Lennon's mighty Omonia Nicosia 
uh, touching down at the Theatre of Dreams. Is it Neil um, Lennon, the manager? Neil Lennon's the manager. Yes, he is. Yeah. I Um, did not know this. Yeah. Well, um, if you see Ammonia's uh, crest, which is a a shamrock in a green circle, then you can probably understand why Neil Lennon's decided to take the job being a former (laughs) Celtic and Hibernian boss. He only manages teams in green. It'd be Plymouth Argyle next on his list. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think that this is a game Manchester United should be starting Cristiano Ronaldo. I think that having scored his 700th club goal, um, that brought a smile back to his face. He was really frustrated um, uh, a couple of weeks ago when he was left on the bench and didn't get brought on. And I think that as much as Ronaldo is so proud of what he's achieved in his career and he's hungry to achieve more, Eric Ten Hag is the manager and I respect him for making these decisions. A lot of people have said in the press that Ten Hag needs to play Ronaldo and why aren't these um, decisions being made by the manager? And by not making a decision, by not putting Ronaldo in the team, he is making a decision. And I think that Eric Ten Hag is not prepared to be scared by the press into putting Cristiano Ronaldo in the team. That being said, I think that United do have an mm. issue up front. I think they have a serious problem up front. I mean, it's not an issue just now either. It's, it's not just an issue now either, is it? Because Martial, his injury record has been poor for United historically. Oh. And his form has been poor for United historically. But this season, he seemed to get an opportunity. He's missed seven out of the 11 games. So there's a real question mark as to how Manchester United handle their forward line going forward, not just for the rest of the season, but for the next two, three years under Ten Hag. But in the four games he has played, Jim, he came on after 45 minutes against Liverpool and was brilliant and helped Marcus Rashford score to to win that game at Old Trafford. He scored a couple of goals uh, last week against Manchester City. I know they got hammered, but he came off the bench and looked lively there. So actually in the games he's played, he's looked really good and he's carrying on the form from pre-season. He was probably United's best player in pre-season, Anthony Martial. And then he gets injured sort of a week before the season starts or you know five days before the season starts and then ends up not playing the first few games and Marcus Rashford has struggled with his form thankfully for Manchester United he's looked to have kind of returned to a a Rashford of old in terms of his form maybe not 100% there to where he was but certainly on the way there with some of his performances but then you've got a 37 year old Cristiano Ronaldo who is still one of the best players ever and is still an um, unbelievable striker but if you've got a player who's always injured you've got a player who's 37 and then you've got another player who also sometimes comes down with injury problems but yet maybe is lacking in confidence and isn't in the greatest of form Um, three very good strikers you'd say but three strikers that are inconsistent at the moment so you know they've got a problem and they need to sign a forward player I think Manchester United in the January transfer window they need to sign a a bona fide centre forward they need to sign someone who's 25 or 24 who's going to play there for the next five or six years who's going to be the person they can pin their attack on Um, Marcus Rashford is that but you know Anthony Martial is not particularly old either but if you've got issues with those two then you probably need someone else who can stay fit and who can find the find the back of the net you know Cristiano Ronaldo is a player who can stay fit and can find the back of the net it's just not happened for him this season he's not being picked by Ten Hag for one reason or another but I think that if you know if United went and signed someone like Tammy Abraham for example I think that would be a great shout. He's someone who knows the Premier League. He's someone who's had experience abroad. So he's got probably experience of European football, having won a trophy last season. He's in the England setup. He's physical. He's got a great touch. His build-up play is good. He can run off the shoulder. He can score headers. So I think he's one of these players that, that maybe Manchester United need. Someone like that. A bit more of a dynamic striker. Martial is very good in the box. Um, I think his hold-up play has improved a lot. Rashford's really good at running in the space in behind because he's got the pace. His one-on-one finishing is excellent. And Cristiano Ronaldo will score you goals from anywhere. If you put the ball in the box, Ronaldo's going to get on the end of it. The problem is that 
they're yet to find the formula United. So I think Ronaldo starts tonight. If he can score two or three goals, I know it's only against a, a team from Cyprus who you'd expect United to beat. But what you want is your players filling with confidence. And scoring a goal at the weekend would have filled Ronaldo with a bit more confidence. Not that he needs it. Martial being out is a blow, but I just think they, they need to to try and uh, really get the job done tonight because at Old Trafford against uh, Real Sociedad, they, they struggled. They ended up losing the game 1-0. Dodgy handball decision for a penalty, it must be said, but the performance was turgid. So they, they need a better performance tonight. And um, they went 1-0 down last week against Ammonia in Cyprus, but... They, they, I don't think they can afford to do that here at Old Trafford. I think they need to come out of the traps flying. I think they need to put 2-3 past the Cypriots in the first half, try and let the occasion get the better of their opponents. Say, listen, you're here on our turf now and we're going to turn you over. And I know it's only a minnow team, but I think that much like we said about Liverpool smashing seven past Rangers, giving them a confidence boost, I think that it doesn't matter who you beat. If you score goals at Old Trafford and you and you get that crowd up, then that's going to that's gonna put confidence into any side. They do need a win as well, Manchester United, because they'll be desperate to finish top of their group in the Europa League. Because if they don't finish top and they finish runners-up, then they face one of the teams that drops down from the Champions League in the next round. And at the moment, some of the names that could drop out of the Champions League into the Europa League, Ajax, Barcelona, AC Milan, Juventus, Manchester United won't want to face any of those in the last 16. So they could do with a win tonight, even though odds are on a win. They definitely need to make sure they get the job done. Let's move on and talk about West Ham in the Europa Conference briefly. I appreciate that I've got far more interest in this game than a lot of other people. So we won't dwell too long on it. (laughs) But West Ham appear to be picking up form this season. They've done all right in the Europa Conference since day one. They've been getting the wins, even if the performances haven't been brilliant, but the opposition hasn't been brilliant either. But it feels like they're starting to make a little bit of progress in the Premier League two now. They've got a couple of wins there. It feels like this against RC, RSC Anderlecht should be fairly routine for the Hammers, doesn't it, Niall? Please tell me it You'd does. You'd like to think so. You'd like to think so. I don't know. Well, what's what's your thoughts, Jim? You're the West Ham fan here. I don't know how... Are you nervous? I mean, I wouldn't be if I was a West Ham fan. I'd be pretty relaxed going into this game. I just think, you know, David Moyes has done really well at West Ham. And I think that maybe it's just taken them longer to settle into the season than, than, than previously expected I don't know he's kind of said a few things in press conferences not excuses but I think he's come up with a few reasons hasn't he as as to why West Ham have started slowly this season and maybe they're just beginning to get into it now yeah I think David Moyes has struggled to find his best team and that's kind of the long and short of it he's bought in players like Corne and Skamaka and then done what David Moyes has done previously with the likes of Jared Bowen, just not played them inexplicably, waited for them to bed in in training. And maybe it's the right move in the long term, but it's certainly frustrated fans in the short term. I think in terms of the Europa League, though, it's pretty much job done. If they win tonight against Anderlecht, that's it. Group stage is topped and they move on to the next bit, they move on to the knockout stages. So there's not a huge amount of pressure on West Ham. There's still a little bit of wiggle room in terms of the results they can get in the last two games of the Europa League. And I think that plays into their favour. I think what's quite interesting is that Skamaka has been number one choice in the Europa League in terms of leading the line, whereas Antonio's kind of been the Premier League option. I think Antonio's injured tonight and I would have expected that to flip round and Antonio to go into the Europa League and Skamaka to kind of continue his role in the Premier League. And it'll be interesting to see what David Moyes does because he seems like he's very conservative about players' fatigue 
at the moment with these Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday games at the moment and not wanting to play too many of his team, giving them a full 90 in both. So will he go with Skamaka with Antonio not there? Or will he maybe go with another forward option, potentially putting Jared Bowen leading the line? Or I don't think he'll go for someone for the development team. So I think there's an interesting question to be had there. But Skamaka's in form at the moment. So for me, Niall, when you've got a striker in form, you play him. Yeah, and I think that's a fair point. But I just think if David Moyes is going to be conservative, if he looks at the group stage table, Group B in the Conference League, West Ham are easily top. They've won three out of three games, nine points. And Anderlecht, even if they beat West Ham tonight, will go on seven points. And that's still two points back from being league leaders uh, in the group stage. So I do think if he is going to go for Jared Bowen up front, tonight's the game to do it. Um, the only question would be Anderlecht are probably the strongest side in the group apart from West Ham. So, I mean, maybe that's um, something to to think about. And of course, at home, you don't want to throw away a result at home. So I think that there are a few things to think about. Um, I just think with the, the Thursday-Sunday schedule, that is definitely something David Moyes is thinking about. I mean, you look at some of the games mm. that West Ham have got coming up. They've got Southampton, then it's Liverpool, home to Bournemouth, and then away at Manchester United. So, you know, that's two or three big games kind of going in. And then you've got a couple more Europas, of course. You've got them every Thursday. But, um, you know, there's some big games going into this international break. Um, And then you come straight back off the World Cup with a game against Arsenal away. So like, I'm sure he's thinking about this, David Moyes, about the amount of football that will be played and the fact that you know the World Cup is, is going to be wedged in the middle of that. And if you think about Gianluca Scamacca, um, he's going to get some time off because Italy aren't at the World Cup. So he, he is going to get some respite. So maybe he is going to play Scamacca for the next five or six weeks, play him in these matches because he knows that his striker is going to have a rest. Whereas some of the other players like Jared Bowen probably going to go to the World Cup with England. Declan Rice, the same. And plenty of other of the players in the West Ham team will probably be going to the World Cup as well. So they're not exactly going to get much rest. Um, so I think maybe you're right. Maybe Skamaka is the way to go tonight, particularly with that in mind that he's going to have a good three, four weeks off around the World Cup. So as long as he stays in shape and he will be turning up reporting for duty at West Ham, I'm sure they'll be still doing sessions whilst the World Cup's on. Um, I think that maybe that is the right choice, Jim. I think give Skamaka some games, allow him to score some more goals because we know what it's like with strikers. You score some goals, doesn't matter who it's against. Your confidence is up. Scored a really nice goal in the Premier League last weekend. So I think that give him some games. I think you're right. Start him tonight. Give him some games. Let him perform for the next five weeks up to the World Cup and then say, right, have a... Have a four-week break, keep yourself fit and come back nice and sharp for the the restart of the season. It's really going to be a game-changer, this World Cup in the middle of the season this year. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Honestly, it's wild because how does... I mean, is it a blessing in disguise for some managers that they they get some time off? I mean, who players are going to come back injured? Are they going to give players a rest of a couple of weeks when the season starts back again? Because they come back, right, Jim, and it's the EFL Cup third round or whatever. So you've got the, the Carabao third round. And then it's basically into your Boxing Day fixtures instantly mm. and the, the Christmas schedule is normally hammer, hammering players isn't it like every two days as a game so I, I think it's fascinating I think it's really interesting although it does depend on which sides get knocked out and when yeah you know if, if a team gets knocked out of the World Cup are they going to have a break I imagine they will do I mean it's, it's going to be interesting how it adds fuel to the idea of a winter break as well because you've got play if you've got players like Skamaka who's having a break like Haaland Norway are in the World Cup. He's going to come back terrifyingly. Oh, He's going to be fresh and firing post-World Cup. So the players that benefit from those four weeks of 
I'm sure they will get some downtime. Like you say, they will be doing sessions. The players left behind will be training, but there will be a drop in intensity, 100%. They'll at least get a week off. So whether that affects their form, and that could just end up fueling the argument for a winter break going forward. It'll be really interesting to see. Uh, incidentally, tonight, West Ham versus Andelect, if you are choosing that as your game to watch over Manchester United and Arsenal for some reason, keep an eye on Flynn Downs. He has been absolutely superb in the Europa Conference this season and he's fast. After his move from Swansea, he's fast playing his way into a Premier League place for West Ham at the moment. I'm a big fan of his, so keep an eye on him if he plays tonight. Right, we're going to move our attention from real life football next into the world of fantasy football because Tom from Who Got The Assist is answering your Premier League fantasy questions next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily and it's time to get our weekly dose of fantasy football advice. Some tips and tricks from the man himself, Tom, from the podcast Who Got The Assist, which you can get on the Sports Social Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts if you want a little bit more from the world of fantasy football. How are you doing today, Dr. Tom? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. Looking forward to the weekend. I'm going off to Bristol to uh, go out to an FPL meetup, actually, on Saturday. Watch wow. the games. Yeah, yeah. We do loads of meetups around the country, normally in London, but I'm off to Bristol for this one because my family will live down there as well. So I'm um, going to see them as well. Uh, so rolling it all up together. So yeah, really looking forward to the weekend ahead. And plus, of course, the football is uh, well here as it always seems to be uh, very soon. <laughs> it's relentless at the moment. What yeah. exactly happens at a FPL meetup? I'm fascinated now because I think there's there's two types of people who play FPL. There's those like myself who like FPL, but I really like football in its purest form as well. I'm a Premier League fan. And there's also then you get people who kind of just play FPL, don't really have an interest in the football side, but really like the numbers. Do you get both people at the meetups? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much everybody, really. I mean... you. FPL is a broad church so you've got people who as you said are completely just into the data and FPL is a good way of applying that data um, you get people who just want to watch the football and love the eye test so you know they don't really look at the numbers they just go with what they see on the screen and yeah it's just everybody coming together having some drinks and watching the games talking about their teams who, who they like who they don't like you know it's, it's, a, it's all really cool and always a really fun experience and, and yeah it's all you know, quite relaxed and as you'd expect you know just kind of um, men and women all of a similar sort of age um, who just all come together through this common hobby um, and it's always an awesome thing to just just go along to and attend nice really like the sound of that right well let's I never had no idea that that kind of community existed either oh it's massive. massive I'm sure there'll be updates on that on the who got the assist podcast uh, as and when it happens but let's get stuck into today's questions that have come in from the football social daily family with their fantasy Premier League problems and we're going to start with Paul who says with Arsenal flying high in the league this season where are the best potential points within their squad well I mean before let's not I mean Arsenal of course are definitely worth buying into but not right now the reason being is that game week 12 so the games on Tuesday Wednesday and Thursday there's one fixture missing normally that's not a problem but this fixture that is missing is Arsenal versus Man City. So that means that any players that you have in that game week would not score you any points because they haven't got a game. 
Therefore, if you if you buy Arsenal assets now, you won't have them next week. So don't buy any right now. And to be fair, like you probably might be looking to move one of them on, maybe uh, to, to ensure you get eleven men for the blank in game week twelve. Because that is something that you know does happen sometimes in the calendar. I think this was due to the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Arsenal's game, uh, UEL game, got moved and postponed, and they had to kind of do some jiggery pokery to rearrange for this week. So bear that in mind. The game week twelve is coming. So if you're buying in. Uh, Likes of Foden, who did very well last week, or you're looking at likes of uh, the Arsenal guys, just just bear that in mind. So maybe hold fire this week, stick with what you got, and make plans around that. Uh, in terms of what we what we've got though, um, we've got obviously the Leeds game coming up, so very happy to have the Arsenal players for that. Got the blank in twelve, and after that, there's four game weeks to go before the World Cup: uh, Southampton, Forest, Chelsea, and Wolves. Three of those four are away, so it's, it's probably worth owning one or two Arsenal players, but. I wouldn't go with all three for now just because there's probably other better options out there. In terms of the players themselves at the back, uh, Saliba this year has come in and been a bit of a revelation to be honest. Um, he's made uh, Gabriel, who was perhaps a stalwart last year, look a little bit under... Uh, nowhere near as good as he was before just because Saliba has just been such a revelation 46 points this year, decent threat from corners as well. He's got two goals so far. Uh, in midfield, Martinelli and Saka, the two young lads on the wings, doing really, really well. Uh, Martinelli, um, 6.6 million, started the season at 6 million. I've had him in my team since game week one. He's the, f- I think he's the third top scorer midfielder at the moment. Very, very good for that price. And in fourth, just one point behind him is Bukayo Saka on penalties. A little bit more expensive at 7.8, but definitely worth it. Got that brace against Liverpool. And any given week, you know, he's likely to do something for you. It's just whether you want to pay that bit more for um, the, 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 the kind of the more expensive asset and obviously up front you've got Jesus who's just been a bit of a revelation again for us in terms of bringing that professionalism and that penetration to our forward line as well and we weren't really um, sure what to expect from City from his days at City when he was played more as kind of a Firmino type um, but yes he's definitely transformed our form line and added a lot of threat to us so he'd be one that I'd be looking to bring in pretty quickly actually after the blank and indeed I will be looking to bring him in pretty quickly for after the blank so I think those are probably the key four and there's also Granit Xhaka um, who who's probably just one worth mentioning. So he's really cheap. I think he's 5.1. But he's being played as a kind of a dynamic box-to-box um, midfielder this year. Um, and he's done right. as two goals, three assists, 41, 42 points, something like that. Definitely worth considering if you have, you know, not very much money to spend, but you still want to get an Arsenal player in. So I said those are the five I'd be looking at predominantly. Who would have thought we'd ever be talking about Granite Zaka as a potential fantasy football pick? How times have changed. <laughs> right, let's yeah. go on to the next question that's coming from Sasha, who says, a lot of my mates are saying that Trossard at Brighton is the man to have in your team at the moment. In fact, I think you might have made this point last week, Tom, that Trossard looked like a decent pick. Sasha's not convinced, though. She wants to know if... I'm assuming Sasha's a she, not a he. She says, should I swap out Mitrovic to get in Trossard? Well, that's two transfers, isn't it? So you've got Mitrovic as a forward and Trossard's a midfielder. Mitrovic, if he is past fit, has two home games coming up against Bournemouth and Aston Villa and he's got an away game against Leeds. So three very good fixtures on the bounce. I probably wouldn't be selling Mitrovic for Trossard. Nonetheless, Trossard in of himself, if you can get there in one move, i.e. moving a defender over, probably is worth a look um, just in the very short term at least because they've got Noscombe Forest game at home coming up in game week 12. You We've got the Brentford game kind of coming up uh, this weekend and Brentford are no great shakes defensively right now. 
could definitely be worth a look that's for sure he's the talisman of the Brighton's of Brighton's team as I said last week I think on this pod as you said um, he is definitely being enabled by those around him such as Welbeck uh, to get in those positions to be scoring goals as we saw against Liverpool so 6.8 million definitely worth a look to buy a talisman who does have a couple of decent fixtures I'm not sure he's quite a long-term pick unfortunately because there are the Man City and Chelsea games coming up in game weeks 13 and 14 he's still bedding in under the Zerbi but nonetheless yes could definitely be one to bear in mind especially for the very very short term and final question comes from Jason Kay who says now, this, this one r- chimes with me as a West Ham fan, but he says, I dropped Skamaka from my squad two weeks ago whilst he wasn't playing, which was a huge frustration to a lot of West Ham fans not seeing Skamaka on the pitch for a full 90 minutes. And then he says, now he's come back in and he's looking good for goals. Is he a decent option at 6.7 million? Yep, I'd say so. Two goals in two games. And to be honest, I mean, I, I love Skamaka from Football Manager. Um, but <laughs> seeing him in the flesh, he's a unit, definitely has a good touch, his movement's very good, and the guy can finish. And I think that West Ham fans are saying that he kind of is, is being used to phase out Antonio a little mm. bit. You know, he, they're sharing the sharing the time, but surely you're going to see Skamaka kind of assume that number nine shirt for his own. 6.7 million as well represents a bit of a discount on the other man in West Ham's uh, kind of team that you'd be interested in from a fantasy perspective, Jared Bowen. And given the fact that, you know, a lot of strikers at the moment aren't particularly putting their hand up or you've got, as I said, that blank for Jesus, Mitrovic being slightly injured, who goes alongside Haaland is always a bit of a question. And I, I wouldn't, you know, say no to Skamaka at 6.7 million being worth your time. Uh, there is the Liverpool game in game week 12, which may put some people off, but to be honest, given how Liverpool are defending, that's not a bad thing at all. And they've got home games against Bournemouth, Crystal Palace and Leicester coming up before the World Cup. So definitely a lot of positives there, as well as the Southampton game uh, this weekend. It sounds like a Haas and Hooter will need to win that game um, to, to save his job, given a lot of the reports that are coming out at the moment. So we might see Southampton attack a bit more, which may mean points and goals for Skamaka to exploit the space. Nice one, Tom. That's all the questions we've got. I'm going to pick up on an additional question, though, because you've mentioned that blank week for Arsenal and City a couple of times now. And we know we've got the World Cup not many weeks away, which feels slightly terrifying. But there it is looming on the horizon. We get a new wild card in fantasy football after the World Cup, don't we? Have Have I got that right? No, not quite. So you get you actually okay. get uh, so during the World Cup during the World Cup period. So after the get after game week twelve is finished, um, basically FPL becomes like game pre before the start of the season again. You've just got this whole period of time before Boxing Day to make as many changes as you want with your team. You've got limitless limitless changes, but only in that week. Okay. After that week you get another wild card. So normally every season you get two wild cards. This season you get sort of free because you have that sort of period in the World Cup where you've got basically unlimited transfers that you can make to your team. So you can't get two wild cards as it, as, as it kind of stands at the back end of the season. So if you wanted, you could, I don't know, do your unlimited, like everyone's got unlimited, so you can do all of that. And then after Boxing Day, you can wildcard again if you really wanted to. And but yeah, that, that, that's kind of how it shapes out this year. So what I'm kind of getting at is... If you've got your wild card still in the bank now, could you be looking at that, maybe kind of moving your team to a place where it doesn't have Arsenal and City players in for the blank week and then immediately afterwards using your blank your wild card and bringing in your three Arsenal, three City, whatever it is you want to bring back into your team at that point? Would that be a sensible use of a wild card at this stage? 
100 percent. that's exactly what i do if i have my wild card so i dead end into game week 12 that means as you said removing those players that you kind of want back but for that week they're blank so you don't need them i do that optimize my team for that one week and then after that wild card into game week 13 bring back all of those players and be well set for the final four game weeks nice one cheers dr tom thanks mate you can find out more on Fantasy Premier League and more advice from the man himself on the Who Got the Assist podcast. Search that wherever you find your podcasts or find it on the Sports Social Podcast Network. And that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode and the football is coming thick and fast at the moment and we have updates twice a day to keep you in the loop and don't forget you can find your next favorite podcast be it football social daily who got the assist or something else on the sports social podcast network just head to sport-social.co.uk football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk